Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Ghost of Text podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Casper. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what I think are the top five movies of 2018. Now, before I get into that, um, I just want to do a rundown of the show. I know it's been a long while since uh, the first episode, but um, I'm going to describe the format and I'm going to talk about some future plans for the show as we carry on. Now, as far as the episode release goes, the normal plan for right now is to just go two episodes a month. Now, if if one of the months I'm feeling like I can get more done, I'll probably give out a third or fourth episode for that month. But at the very least, the base plan is to at least two episodes a month. And we're just I'm going to roll with that for now unless things change, and then I'll give you guys an update. And for the future episodes, what I've got planned... Um, I may have been gone for a while, but I've been taking a lot of notes and I've been getting ready for a lot of different episodes. So um, in the future, there's going to be episodes over The Graduate, um, From Dusk Till Dawn, The Lobster, Die Hard, and Her. Those are the specific movies I've got planned right now. And then I'm taking a lot of notes. I'm doing some research for an episode talking about the history of the grindhouse genre, which will be a lot, a lot of fun. And then, as of course, I'm getting ready for a director spotlight. I'm going to do a director spotlight on Sam Raimi, talking about his rise from the Evil Dead all the way to his work in the Spider-Man movies. So I'm really excited about that one. And I'm getting ready to start having guests by about February, once I get the microphones ready to go. Uh, I've talked to a few people. I've got some guests lined up. Like, I'm going to have George Hibden, also known as George the High Guy. Really funny dude. We haven't decided what movie we're talking about yet, but it's... It's going to be great with him. I'm going to have Matt Villegas, one of my friends. Uh, we're going to be talking about No Country for Old Men, one of our favorite movies. That's going to be so much fun. And then one of my good friends, Alexis Hamilton, is going to be dropping by for an episode about Reservoir Dogs. So I'm really, really excited about all of that. All right, now that that's done, we're going to start digging into what I believe are the top five movies of 2018. It was kind of weird making this list because all of the orders, the movies I thought belonged in those places kept switching around, and I feel like I didn't want to make the full list until I saw everything this year had to offer, so I wanted to wait till the end of December when I got to see pretty much everything that I felt like was going to be competing for this list, but it was, it was this was a really hard year to make a choice for a list. 2017 was so, so, so easy, because <laughs> I feel like a lot of movies were standing out in 2017, like It or Blade Runner 2049, so it was easy to make that list. But this one, this year, was had so many good movies, so it's pretty hard to just go and make this list. But now that I've seen everything, I think it's much easier to go through uh, what I believe are the top five. So we're going to start at number five, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This movie surprised me in so many different ways. I remember when they were talking about like the early reviews before it went out into theaters and people were going, no, 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 this is super, super, super good. You're going to love it. And my expectations were set pretty, pretty high. I mean, not really like Infinity War high, but they were set pretty high just from those reviews. And I was still surprised with the quality of the movie. Um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is directed by Rob Perchietti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. Rodney Rothman sounds like a Spider-Man villain. Oh no, it's Rodney Rothman. <laughs> and it stars Shamik Moore as Miles Morales, Jake Johnson as Peter Parker, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, 
Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir, and John Mulaney as Spider-Ham, which those two were the perfect casting choice for that movie. They were awesome. Some of the best comedic scenes came from those two. So I, now that I've, I'm thinking about it, um, I think they're going to do sequels. And I'll be honest, I might not see the sequels if they don't have Nicolas Cage or John Mulaney in it. But one of the things I loved about it the most was the animation. It was so detailed and in-depth with how every scene had so many different details to the animation. And all of the scenes felt so comic booky. Like they had the thought bubbles coming out of Miles's head as he was talking. They had different like slides that looked like it was different comic book panels. And the animation made it feel like it was from the texture of reading a classic comic book. So it felt like literally a comic book movie that you were watching an animated version of a Spider-Man comic. And it was so cool with characters like Spider-Ham, Spider-Man Noir, or Peter Parker and Miles blending together that they brought in all these different Spider-Man characters without, I guess, over-nerding it. Because I think a problem when you have a universe full of characters like this is you run into a problem of like, I wouldn't say talking down, but just coming off as too nerdy or pretentious with it and going, well, this Spider-Man is... They made it so much more fun. They didn't take themselves too seriously, which made the movie even better. So they, they handled it in such a perfect way and they gave every character their dues without really being too nerdy about it. And they all blended in so well. So they had characters that were the straight men. They had characters that were playing it more from a goofy aspect. So it was it was a lot of fun. And each character got their own little part without everybody seeing, seeming like they're competing to be the same kind of character. And all that stuff around just made it such a fun movie to watch. And I think I'm probably going to go see it like a second or third time. All right, let's go on to number four. And the number four pick is Sorry to Bother You. This is a comedy that was written and directed by Boots Riley. It stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Danny Glover, Stephen Yeun, and Army Hammer. This, I'm going to say it a lot. I'm just going to say it. This movie really surprised me and caught me off guard with it because the trailers were showing a lot of the uh, absurdist comedy that it was going to have, like reality-bending comedy. And for those of you who don't know what this movie is or what it's about, it's about this uh, guy who works in a call center for, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, it's a call center for, I don't know, call center for selling products, pretty much. And he meets this guy who's really successful in the call center. And he's like, well, I don't know how to be successful. And he's like, oh, what you got to do is you just got to use a white voice. And he shows him how to do this voice and their voice changes to some other voice and when Lake Heath Stanfield uses a different voice it's David Cross so it's David Cross's voice dubbed over Lake Heath Stanfield's mouth as he's calling people and it's oh my god it's hilarious and it just it does all of this like reality bending comedy where like whenever he's calling people he ends up showing up in their house as he's talking to them and trying to sell the product or like one time he ends up like staring face to face to a guy while he's sitting on the pot as they're talking and oh my god it's so good and the acting in this movie is great all around every single person does their own job at being either ironically hilarious or just hilarious in their own way 
And I was surprised seeing the people that were in it. Like Stephen Yeun from The Walking Dead was in it. He was uh, Glenn in The Walking Dead. And he was pretty good at having like a sarcasm aspect to his character. Danny Glover wasn't in it that much. He was more in it towards the beginning and then he kind of faded out. And then Army Hammer was just hilarious. He was this... CEO of the company that was supposed to be really eccentric and just a cokehead. So he would just say random shit and he was just like convulse and jerk around as he was saying fucked up things to Lake Heath Stanfield. And oh my God, he was so good. And for a comedy that was so original and really twisty and turny and really able to change it up as it went along, I was surprised at how good it was at having its own social commentary weaved into it. Because by the end of the movie, it takes a somewhat dark turn as it goes on. The comedy still stays throughout, but there's a plot, I wouldn't say twist, but a plot change as it goes along, and it turns really dark. And from there on, it's it reminds me a lot of Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. And... A lot of the comedies more laced into, I guess, more of a slapstick element than it is a dialogue-based comedy, which isn't a bad thing. It's just a, a, a shift. But it adds like a social commentary element to it, which I was kind of expecting to see when I walked into it. I mean, with them going, you know, talk in your white voice or something like that, I expect it to go on the sides of like, a political discussion of race, a little bit kind of like how Get Out went about it, which is funny because Lakey Steinfeld was in Get Out. But I expected it to go along the race route of it. But then when I went to see it and I carried further along, it seemed only to dabble a little bit into the race issues and more into this wider aspect of everything as far as um, uh, the business world and the work world and how people perceive... You know, lower level workers from a higher up standpoint. And a lot of it was about, um, I guess, a class divide. I would say that's what it is. A lot of it talks about class divide as it goes deeper and deeper in, which I wasn't expecting at all from the trailers. It it was very, I don't want to say smart because it's, 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 it's a comedy at the end of the day. And you really can watch it without having to see the social commentary. You don't have to deeply analyze it just to have fun with it. But the kind of social commentary it went for was really uh, out of the box. It was really thought out and planned out, and it weaved in with the comedy so well, which surprised me. So I I really can't say anything that bad about this movie, other than like a few scenes dragging on a little bit longer than they should. But that's about it. All right, now we're moving on to number three. And the number three pick is... I was trying to see if I could put the music on before I said the title, but it didn't work, so I just figured I was just going to do it myself, which kind of makes it worse. But who gives a fuck, right? So <laughs> so the number three pick is Halloween. Uh, this was directed by David Gordon Green, and it was written by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. I want to take a second to talk about how fucking awesome that is. <laughs> Danny McBride, the guy that does all the weird shit in all these comedy movies now, wrote a friggin' horror movie with David Gordon Green, who's who directed Pineapple Express. So two of the biggest guys from Pineapple Express made a slasher horror movie, which actually makes some sense 
when you see it and you see some of the comic relief that's in it and it pays off a lot of the ways with comic relief. I mean, they don't try too hard to be funny as the horror goes on. They focus very much on the scariness of the movie and I don't know. I would don't, I don't want to say the movie's scary because I didn't, I didn't find it really scary. I found it intense. I would say it was just a fun horror movie. I just had so much fun as the plot progressed and as a slasher movie, I had was really surprised at how well it was at taking elements from the original that made it so unique and fun and then adding the innovation that's been changed to modern horror movies in order to make it appealing to really everybody. So, I mean, for instance, Michael's killing way, way, way more in this new version of Halloween than he did in the original he was, I think he killed like maybe four teenagers in the original and you didn't really see the killings until much, much later into the movie. And in this one, he, I don't, I don't even know what the kill count is for him in this one. He kills a shit ton of people and it's, it's carried on from the beginning of his escape all the way till the end of the movie. And they did such a cool twist on Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Laurie Strode they had this really cool turning of the tables where she's the person who's hunting Michael now instead of Michael hunting her, which is, it's such a cool, unique way of bringing back the character without just ripping off what the original was like, or just ripping off, you know, like a way in a reboot form, ripping it off where you just have a character who's exactly like Lori, but you just did, didn't call her Lori Strode. So they really went for, something new with it and the biggest advantage that this halloween movie had versus all of the other halloween sequels is they had a fully invested john carpenter uh john carpenter was the guy who directed the original halloween and he wrote it and he did some of the score for it but after the first halloween he just did not give a fuck about anything else he he figured the first halloween was enough for that character. He just figured it didn't need to go any further. But when they asked him to do Halloween 2, he was like, oh, I don't really want to direct it, but they're going to make this movie with or without me, so I might as well just write it and take the writing credit and take the money. So he did that for Halloween 2. And then after that, he just he just peaced out and did not care about anything else with that franchise. So the franchise went to shit real fast. And then when they did the reboot he still didn't want to be involved with it because he didn't like the route they were taking with it and so he still stayed away from it and then with green and mcbride coming to him for this new halloween and giving their pitch and talking about what they wanted to do with it he liked what they were talking about and he figured well if they're gonna really go for an actually like really good halloween and not try to just cash in on the character um i might as well do what I can do to help them out and make sure it's, you know, the best Halloween possible. So he was a producer on the movie. He even helped create the new theme for the movie, which was awesome. So it made it stand out from all of those other sequels, just by that little detail of John Carpenter being involved, which made it seem like a true sequel to the original Halloween. And it was such a smart move on their part to, instead of making like Halloween seven, Honestly, it probably would have been like Halloween 8 or 9 by now. But instead of doing like Halloween 8, Halloween 9, they just said, screw all of the other sequels. This new Halloween is only 
sequel is only a sequel to the very original Halloween. So the now as as of now the only canon Halloween movies are the original one from 1978 and the new 2018 version. And it allowed them to go really out of the box with what they wanted to do with the character, which is really good for Michael Myers because as the franchise went along, he went from being like a normal psycho slasher character into something where he was like a paranormal entity or an embodiment of evil in a paranormal form. So then he just felt like a just some kind of mystical guy that just walked around, which kind of took the fun out of it. And then there was that one movie where Busta Rhymes fucking fought him. That was awful. But they went back to him being a completely human slasher. He was just a normal psycho and there was no motive. They didn't have to worry about any of that. It was just normal Michael Myers, which was perfect. And now we're on to number two. And the number two pick on my list is Upgrade. Uh, this was a sci-fi action thriller. It was a bunch of different genres put together. Uh, that was written and directed by Leo Winnell. I don't think I said his name right, but he's the he's the bathtub guy from Saw, if that's what you're trying to remember him as. And it stars Logan Marshall Green, Betty Gabriel, Benedict Hardy, and Harrison Gilbertson. And for those of you who didn't see it or hadn't heard of it, it was this, uh, I don't know, maybe people saw it because they were, they were marketing the hell out of that movie. It was the movie where the guy that looks a lot like Tom Hardy uh, is paralyzed and he has like a smart microchip put into his spine that moves his body for him. And then it just turns him into this martial arts badass that like punches the shit out of people and tries to solve his wife's murder or whatever using the AI that's put inside of his body. And it sounds stupid the way I just described it, which makes it hard to talk about it as my number two pick. But my God, was that movie so awesome? Like the, all of the fight scenes were so close quarters and intense and so unique between each one so every scene where he's fighting somebody you just see him robotically like push somebody's arm away and smack him in the face and push him back or like the first scene of the movie where he's in a fight like a dude swings a knife at him and he just pushes him away takes a knife out from somewhere else and just robotically stabs him and pushes him back and the robotic movements made everything feel so much cooler and on top of that the amount of detail that was put into the fight scenes was so fun because like the the way the camera was moving with the fights made it feel very much like the audience was with it so every time he like got knocked to the ground and he would rise up the camera would like shift with his body movements so it felt as you were watching that you had these robotic you know camera views going with it one of my favorite shots was when he like gets up and he does this like big like like three backflips from like from laying on the ground to just immediately three backflips and through all the backflips the camera just rolls with the flips and it just looks so cool but it felt very uh very fun with that action felt very grindhousey with how the martial arts was just kind of thrown in with the plot and then there's intense blood and gore. My God, the the movie is so gory. There's heads exploding. There's like a dude who just gets his face like slashed 50 times. It's, yeah, definitely do not see it if you're queasy because it's gory. And the plot was pretty surprising for me because 
it's when you see the trailers for it, it seems like a usual like, oh, my my wife got murdered. I have to find the killer and get my revenge sort of thing. But as it gets further along and there's plot twists in the movie and more stuff's revealed, it reminded me a lot of like a Black Mirror episode. So if you watch it all the way to the end, it feels like what a like a two hour uh, Black Mirror episode would be. Because they incorporate the sci-fi in it so well with the thriller and the action parts of it. So I didn't really go into it expecting there to be a you know a good plot that ended that way. But it did. I mean, I don't know if they can do a sequel from that, but I'd sure love to d- see a sequel of that one. Or if they're going to start doing like versus movies with it, I'd like to see him fight like Robocop or something. That'd be friggin' awesome. But... The fight scenes were so cool. The cinematography was awesome. That's what caught my attention the most, I would say, is just how the camera rolled around with all the fight scenes. It was so cool. And the plot just really surprised me on that one. Yeah, it's another movie. I don't have anything bad to say about it. Now, before I go into the um, to the number one pick, I just figured um, I'd pull a Watch Mojo card here and just give some honorable mentions. It's very tempting to just read this in a Watch Mojo voice. Now, before we go into our number one pick, here are some honorable mentions. Jeez, I'm just giving people Vietnam flashbacks of Watch Mojo here. <laughs> so, um, definitely one movie that was awesome to me, but I don't think it was as... I didn't catch my attention as much as others was Avengers Infinity War. That movie handled all of the pressure that was put on it so well. It took care of all of those plot lines that got summed up into that one whole movie, like all of the Infinity Stone plot lines. That's not an easy thing to write. I mean, granted, you have help from the source material of the comic books, but still, that's not easy to write to have all those stones put in and have them all come up in the story within certain plot lines, certain times, so it all's paced out right. And for an ensemble movie that's dealing with all of the Marvel Avengers characters and bringing in the Guardians of the Galaxy characters while each getting their own individual time, characters getting their own different arcs, and all this other stuff that goes on, it was phenomenal that they were able to get all of that together. I can't even, I don't remember the number of how many of those of the main characters they put into the movie, but it was such an amazing job to be able to just get all of those characters fit into one movie, everybody gets their due time, get to fill in good writing, and write a really cool villain. Thanos was a very, very cool villain. And he had a, well, I mean, he didn't have a good reason, but at least as a villain, he had an interesting reason for wanting to fight the heroes or wanting to do something. It wasn't like a normal, I just want to destroy the world, you know? I just want to destroy the world. I don't know why Bill Burr is Thanos. I just want to destroy the world. It's brutal. It's brutal. But... I just thought it was a it was a really interesting villain to write without him making without making him seem so just baseline or pretty average as a villain. Uh, another nerdy movie I liked this year was Ready Player One. That one was a really really nostalgic grab. To be honest, it was just a cash grab on nostalgia by just throwing all of those pop culture characters in there. But I still did not care. I just found it really fun to see all of those different Easter eggs pointed out and pointing out all the different pop culture icons. Like one of my favorite ones I saw was I saw um, 
RoboCop walking right next to one of the raptors from Jurassic Park. And I was like, look at it, he's right there. So that feeling of being able to go, look at that, oh, look at that, oh, look at that, was really cool for me. And I thought that was a lot of fun. The plot reminded me a lot of um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which... Nothing else to say to that. I don't really think it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a reminded me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. the The way it was, the way the characters were brought about, or the way the plot was written for that, it felt like that was a perfect movie for Steven Spielberg to make. That's his line of work when it comes to those adventure movies or those action movies. That's very that's very Steven Spielberg to write. And since it was Steven Spielberg, a lot of the pop culture things in there are from movies he did. Or movies he was a part of. So that was that definitely was a good part of it. So he understood what those characters were, what those pop culture icons were, and how they um, how they meant to people and how they should be used within the context of a movie like that. So that was a really good, really good movie. Uh, another horror movie I really liked this year was A Quiet Place. That was directed by Jim from The Office. <laughs> oh man they still never did a parody i was hoping they would do like a parody on snl or something where there's some monster shows up and then john krasinski just looks at the camera that'd be great um that was a very interesting idea for a horror movie where people just have to stay quiet the whole time Otherwise, it reminded me a lot of the clickers in The Last of Us just because they were hiding based off of noise. But that concept was so cool. And then they thought of really cool ways to create tension. Like the, like, uh, I forgot her, Emily Blunt's character being pregnant and having to give birth while the monsters are still out there. So that created this whole big part of the tension and mixing in the sounds from the monsters and their designs and the pretty good music. I mean, there's not much to be said about the music, but the music mixed in with the sounds of the monsters and um, how tight the house felt during those scenes, it made just like, it almost just made me like tighten up as I was watching it. It was, uh, it was very unsettling to watch all of that horror play out, but it was so cool. Um, now on to a kid's movie. <laughs> um, uh, Ralph breaks the internet. That was probably, in my opinion, that was probably the best kid's movie of the year. And yes, that includes Incredibles two. Incredibles two was, was okay, but it was just a bit of a letdown if you ask me. But Ralph Breaks the Internet probably stood out to me because I was still fresh off of the Emoji movie. And I was still having like Vietnam flashbacks of the Emoji movie and how cringy and awful it was. And then I saw Wreck-It Ralph 2 and I was like, wow, they actually took stuff of the Internet. They made jokes about the Internet and all that stuff that felt slightly relatable but way less cringy. I mean, it wasn't free of cringe. There were some cringy moments in it where I was like, eh, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't like that. But it it felt more accessible to watch. And then with it being so meta with the Disney products and the Disney characters, that was so cool. All the scenes with like the Disney princesses act- interacting with uh, Vanellope was so cool. And those were some of my favorite moments of the movie. But all the incorporation of Disney products into what they were doing made it really fun. Um, and the last movie I'm going to talk about for honorable mentions is Bohemian Rhapsody. Honestly, when I was putting this in there, I kept, I kept trying to think of ways to describe it. And I was just like, it's a fun movie. It was a good movie. I just, it's, 
it's a really cool movie to see for anybody that was just huge fans of Queen, which Queen is such a big band. It's hard to not be a fan of Queen or at least not at least not have heard Queen's music. I guess it's 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 easy to be a, to not be a fan of Queen, but you you've had to have heard their music. And seeing that story of what happened behind the scenes, how they came up and all that was really cool and at least to my knowledge of the history of everything of that band uh it seemed pretty close to it i mean they from what i had seen from articles written about it and from at least what i knew a lot of the big changes that were done to it were timeline changes so a lot of the events that were going on with them happened sooner in the movie than they did in real life but it was more of an editing choice that way they could fit in those essential parts of their story into earlier timelines so that way it makes it easier to compact it into a movie without fitting all of the important stuff into an epilogue. So I think they handled all of that really well. And I I really hope that Rami Malik gets best actor, like the best actor award at, from Golden Globes or from Oscars from being uh, Freddie Mercury. He totally nailed that guy. <laughs> it's ironic. Uh <laughs> He he totally nailed the character. He was perfect at embodying the character without making him seem like he was trying too hard to pretend to be Freddie Mercury. He felt like he was naturally acting like Freddie Mercury while also working in some good comedic moments with him or good uh, – just good fun elements that made Freddie Mercury such a pretty fun and cool guy. Sad ending though. Sad ending. All right, guys, we made it. Here we are. Number one. <sighs> made it all the way to the bottom of the list. Hope you guys are ready to, for me to talk about how good Robin Hood is. <laughs> oh, my God. That movie was probably the worst fucking movie of the year. Robin Hood sucked. Uh, nah, but for real, my number one movie of 2018 is... I was trying to do drums i don't know i fucked it up whatever it's hereditary <laughs> uh this was a, a horror movie that came out i'd say in the summer and it was written and directed by ari aster who made uh the witch i believe that's on netflix right now and it stars tony collette uh, millie shapiro gabriel burns and alex wolf and man my god God, was that a good horror movie? I know I talked about two other horror movies earlier, and I kept saying like, "Oh, they were they were fun and intense, but they weren't really scary." This one fucking scared the shit out of me. I mean, I remember walking out of the theater with my friends, and I was holding up my arm, and I had hairs on my arm standing up. That's the movie just got in my head. It it was so. I don't want to say fun because it was a pretty scary thing to watch. It it felt like a a horror movie of its own kind because I guess I'm used to watching horror movies these days where a lot of the big scares come from just like quiet moments where things are quiet and then all of a sudden boom jump scare in your face and then you, the, the scares just go away because now that the jump scare is over it just moves on to the next thing and which is seen in movies that came out this year like The Nun or like Insidious The Last Key and I mean if it's if it's your thing that and you like that in horror movies that's that's your prerogative but I I find it annoying when I see horror movies and that's the only thing they're doing to be scary and then when I saw Hereditary uh I think there were maybe like two jump scares in the movie two jump scares in the entire movie and everything else was just purely 
scary. If I was going to compare it to anything, uh, any horror movie that I've seen, I'd say it's somewhere between Rosemary's Baby and The Shining and the types of scariness that's brought forward with it. I mean, plot-wise, I'd say, if I was going to say plot-wise, it's close to anything. It's kind of close to Rosemary's Baby, but not really. Um, I don't really want to go fully into the plot because I really think everybody should see this movie. But it's just a family that's dealing with um, the loss of a grandmother that when that happened recently to them. And then all of these just scary events. That's all I'm going to say. All these scary events start taking place afterwards. And it's this, this story was so well thought out as it went along. Ari Aster really knew what he was doing with this movie. There's foreshadowing everywhere in the movie. Cause I, you have to watch it at least three times when you, when you go to find this movie. Cause every time you watch it, you find out there's hints about the end of the movie or hints about stuff that's going to progress throughout the movie and it's it's phenomenal at how detailed it is and for horror movies that really want to do exposition for characters or exposition for background plot it was so uh well written into the script at revealing what characters uh personalities were what their intentions were for some things like uh what's a good example uh i mean a good example I'd say was there was this scene where the little girl of the family's eating a candy bar and the dad comes up behind her and says, uh, that doesn't have any peanuts in it, does it? And she just shakes her head and they're carrying on. He's like, good. Cause I didn't bring the EpiPen. So they've already revealed like a, like a character defining thing for her at least without making a big deal out of it. Just going, Hey, did you know Charlie has a, has a, a, a disease or Charlie has an allergy to peanuts, which is seen a lot in horror movies. I remember when I saw the bye bye man and I was laughing with my friend because there was just this random piece of dialogue where these two guys were like, Hey, remember when you saved my life three years ago? Yeah, I do remember when I saved your life three years ago, man, that was a really good experience. Was it? And it just felt so completely unnatural that people just came up and discussed that for no reason. So all of the stuff they're revealing about characters or all the ways that those scenes are going on felt so believable and the pl and the dialogue was so realistic and the characters felt so real as it was going on. This felt like real people and the more real that they felt, the more invested I felt in the characters as it went along and the more invested I felt in the characters, the scarier the situation was because it's like, I don't want those characters to die. This is... This is just insane stuff that's going on. And it just, the scariness of it, I don't really don't want to spoil anything about the movie. It's weird describing a movie without even describing little bits of the details. But the scares that come from it are just from these moments that are shocking, where it, the scares come out of nowhere, not in the sense of jump scares, but in the sense of like the, the, the way the scene is carrying on changes into a different direction and you carry on thinking it's a normal scene. And then you start realizing little details that are different. And then you just starts building up the scares and building it up until the whole situation is completely terrifying. And there's so many scenes where the characters, I don't know where I'm going with this sentence, but the scares, I think, are going to make it timeless just because, again, it felt very much like a movie like Rosemary's Baby where the, the situations are horrifying and the images are ominous and scary 
and there's no in-your-faceness element of it. It doesn't jump out at you. It's just you're living in that situation that's just so weird and freaky. Like there's uh, there's some scenes at the end where you see just uh, little faces coming out of dark corners of the wall. And there's no dark ominous music. There's no jump scare coming from it. It's just you just see a face coming from a dark doorway and you just see that face and it looks like something you would imagine coming out of like some really well-written creepypasta or something. It's just scary looking at something like that. And I think it probably played on people's expectations that there would be a jump scare. So you're just, you're just cringing in, in anticipation that it's going to jump out and get you. And it never happens. Not that it's not scary, but it's just that intensity is just held onto and you savor onto it as the scene goes on. And then you just take a giant breath by when, by the time the movie's over. And some people argue that the ending wasn't that well written. I never saw a problem with the ending. I felt like everything was paced out perfectly. So everything felt summed up and everything was pretty understood by the time the last scene carries on and the credits show up. But, uh, I, if I would say if there's a genuine criticism to be made, I would say that the final scene just kind of felt fast after all the intensity of the previous scenes had happened, the final scene where it just put the nail in the coffin to the story felt like a snap. It just went super, super fast. And that's the only, if I, that's a critique I have, if I need to find a critique, the movie is like a 9.8 out of 10 for me. I mean, again, that point two is just for little mistakes like that, where it's just like, oh, the pacing was a little bit off in that final scene. But other than that, if I'm not counting that, this is a perfect horror movie, in my opinion. It scared the living shit out of me in the theater when I saw it. And it just was so plot oriented and detailed. And the characters felt so real and relatable that I was just hooked onto it. And I had to see how this movie was going to end. And I just loved it. And that's going to about do it for this episode of the ghost of text podcast uh i I was about to post this without saying anything else i was just gonna leave it after i stopped talking about hereditary but i don't know i figured it'd probably be good if i started ending episodes with um send-offs or something to say i guess or something to reflect on by the end of it so i can pull out my pretentious card for the week um uh i'd say as I was writing this list and thinking about movies that for everybody liked throughout the year, uh, I guess what I want to say about all this is, um, feel free to like whatever you like as a movie watcher. Don't, don't think you have to like something just because everybody else likes it or just because other movie fans really like it. You don't, if you want to be, if you're a movie fan, that doesn't mean you have to watch, uh, pretentious long movies where, that are made by people that love the smell of their own farts. You don't have to like those movies. You can be a huge movie fan and just love hardcore action movies or just love comedy movies or love whatever. Just being a movie fan isn't about having to like anything or having to know everything about movies. You know, you don't have to know the director's brother's birthday to be a true fan of a movie. And even with me, um, all the movies I talk about on this show aren't, I don't have knowledge of them based off the top of my head. I go and I research them. And so I'm, I don't 
I'm not going to claim to be a big movie fan just because I talk about a lot of details in movies. I do a shit ton of research before I go and do it. And I like what I like as a movie fan. And you guys should like what you like too. Don't feel like people should... Don't let people push you down on something that you like. If you like the Star Wars prequels... Oh, a little a little odd if you ask me, but go ahead. Like the Star Wars prequels. If, um... I don't know, I was trying to think of other stuff. If you like Fast and Furious, you know, by all means, go ahead. I really don't like Fast and Furious, but by all means, go ahead. I mean, I love Batman versus Superman. Most people don't like Batman versus Superman. They're in the right to not like it. But just, you know, enjoy movies. That's just what I want to say. Enjoy movies. And uh, I hope you guys had a good year of 2018. And here's to having a great 2019.